are listening to Sermons by the Park from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and we have entered the season of Advent. This is a season of expectation and preparation for the coming of Christmas. And of course, Christmas is something very familiar, very comforting, like a well-worn pair of slippers that we put on when the weather gets cold. But the thing about it is, at the heart of Christmas, there is a profound mystery. God coming into the world, being born amongst us as one of us, yet still God. So during this Advent season, instead of rushing on to Christmas, we are pausing, we're waiting. And in the waiting, we are journeying together into the mystery. Here's this week's message. The first scripture reading this morning is from Luke 1, chapters 5 through 23. In the days of King Herod of Judea, they, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the common commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Once when, we, when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at the, his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was needed, he went to his home. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. 
Our second scripture reading this morning picks up later in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. Let's continue listening for God's word for us here today. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me now in a moment of prayer? Let us pray together. O God, give us the listening ear. Give us the listening ear that will not shrink from a word that corrects and admonishes, a word that holds before us an image of ourselves that causes us to pause and reflect a word that challenges us to deeper consecration and higher resolve, a word that lays bare the needs that make our days uneasy, that seizes upon everything good and decent in our nature, that channels it into paths of healing in the lives of others. Give us, O Lord, the listening ear, through Jesus Christ and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, the theme of this Advent sermon series is Into the Mystery. And of course, Advent is a season of expectation and waiting. And throughout this fall, waiting has been on our hearts here at Union, waiting to see where God is calling us as a church to go, waiting with God and with one another, waiting with you. We are all waiting. And if ever there was a season defined by the paradoxical phrase, hurry up and wait, it is Advent, when we are hurrying up all the time, rushing around, trimming the trees, decking the halls. But when the chocolates in the Advent calendar begin to dwindle and the pace of activity seems to increase here, at least here, for a few moments, we will resist that frenetic pace. Here we are invited to pause and become still because rushing ahead to the ending spoils the great gift of the mystery that this Advent season portends. Now, if you type into the old Googleator the words Christmas and mystery, one of the first search results that you come across is Agatha Christie's novel, Hercule Poirot's Christmas. Anyone read this one? You're familiar with Agatha Christie, the queen of death, the mistress of mystery. Uh, Agatha Christie's novels all follow the same pattern. They're detective novels. They begin with some incredible, seemingly impossible crime being committed uh, for which there is no logical explanation. And then Hercule Poirot, the detective in these stories, Uh, comes in and does what all crime novel detectives do. He 
attends closely to the clues, he identifies suspects and detects patterns. And then at the end of every story, he unveils and reveals the whole mystery, how it was done, explaining everything. The mystery is solved, the villain is brought to justice. You gotta love a mystery novel, the way they, the way they come to that satisfying conclusion. And that formula is true of Hercule Poirot's Christmas, which is a mystery novel set on Christmas Eve. It's set in the home of a millionaire named Simeon Lee, and he has gathered in his whole extended family to celebrate Christmas, and they are not on good terms with one another. Uh, he's brought in an orphaned granddaughter, who's this sort of mysterious character named Pilar, another man named Stephen Farr, who, uh, spoiler alert, turns out to be Simeon's illegitimate son. Great drama. And the story begins with his family sharing this awkward Christmas Eve dinner during which Simeon leaves to make a phone call that is overheard by all the guests saying that he is going to amend his will. And so after the meal, everyone retires to their rooms, but later that night, they hear crashing furniture in Simeon's room. And everyone rushes there and the door is locked and eventually they break the door down and they find him in there, dead, his throat slashed, seemingly impossibly, because he was, of course, alone in a locked room. Enter Hercule Poirot to solve the mystery. And I won't ruin it for you. Because, again, I want to keep mysteries mysterious. But the thing about mystery novels is that they aren't really mysteries in the proper sense of the term. The promise of a mystery novel is always that the master detective will solve the case. Edgar Allan Poe was one of the first to write these kinds of stories. He called them tales of ratiocination, stories about patterns, ratios, that bind together seemingly unconnected events and motives. The reader is meant to get a sense of marvelous delight at the power of ratiocination on display with these detectives. And if I'm being honest, that's what I like about mystery stories. I like the way everything seems to come together at the end. And the best ones are the ones where you don't see it coming until the last possible moment. Now, of course, not everyone likes mystery novels. There are those people who will pull one off the shelf, read the back of it, and then open it to the last couple pages just to see how everything turns out, and then put it back on the shelf. Of course, there's no mystery then. There's just the problem, the intriguing problem, and the solution. I was listening this week to an interview with a, a researcher uh, named Marianne Wolf. She studies reading, the practice of reading. She noted that in this day and age, we tend to do a kind of reading that is a lot like that person taking the mystery novel off and just reading the last few pages. We read more than we've ever read before these days. We see more words than we've ever seen. But for the most part, we skim through them. We scan over them. Oftentimes, we're looking just for whatever the immediate information is. We've trained ourselves to, to digest massive quantities of information quickly by seeking out the little nuggets of truth, whatever is useful for us. And I think more and more, 
The more we spend time reading on these screens with the words just sort of passing in front of our eyes like a waterfall, the more some of us, I think, tend to, to have this sense that we, while we are looking at more words, we are reading less. I mean, how many of us have said, I need to put down my phone more and read a book? That'll really get my mind right. And of course, that's the thing about a mystery novel. When you sit down to read it, you sit down to savor it from beginning to end. Otherwise, that ending just doesn't hit the same way. And of course, this is also a pattern when we read scripture, when we hear these stories, these familiar stories of Christmas. We all know how it ends. We all know what to expect at the end of the road. But the wonderful thing about Luke's story is that it does not just open with the manger scene. Right? It gives us these other stories, these, these stories that often are completely neglected uh, in the run-up to, to Christmas. I, I, I heard an interesting thing the other day from a pastor friend of mine. He said, you know, the Zechariah story is not even in the lectionary. Most people never heard it, hear it preached, even in the Advent season which seems strange to me because it's such a crucial part of the buildup of this strange mystery of Christmas. Now, the thing about what Marianne Wolfe says about skimming and scanning is that it is indeed useful. And I, I would be lying to you if I didn't say I, I read my Bible that way sometimes too. I skim and I scan and I pull out that one choice verse that's going to make its way into the sermon. And that's all well and good, but, but she also says that doing this continually, this kind of skimming and scanning, leaves us in a kind of shallow place without the capacity for what she calls cognitive patience. Instead, we all become cognitively impatient, always in a hurry to know how the story ends, how the problem is solved. It's why whenever we have a question these days, the, the simplest and easiest answer is to turn to those omniscient algorithmic deities, Google, Twitter, Facebook, they will tell us all. And of course, cognitive impatience isn't just about what happens out there, it is about what happens in the church as well and in our spiritual lives. Charles Campbell, who is a professor of homiletics, that's the study of preaching, he recently published a book called The Scandal of the Gospel, Preaching and the Grotesque. And he basically says that, that preachers are guilty of this cognitive impatience in the pulpit. In fact, this is what we're trained to do. Think about it. Every Sunday, we are to stand up here and present to you a mystery and then solve it making sure we get from sin and death to grace and resurrection, that there is some good news in every sermon, and, and ideally we do it in under 20 minutes. <laughs> the problem, Campbell says, is that this sort of formulaic preaching, like a, like a Hercule Poirot novel, always comes out very neatly and cleanly. But the gospel is not neat or clean. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul wrote, is foolishness. And Campbell studied that notion for a long time, but he said foolishness doesn't take it far enough. In fact, the gospel is something else entirely. It is scandalous. It is grotesque. Strange and stunning in such a way that it almost makes you not have words for it. 
And while we are rushing and rushing to go through the motions of our religion of this season, I wonder what it looks like when the word of God holds us back, stops us from rushing onwards, thrusts us into a mystery instead. If only there was a story about the word of God coming and rendering someone silent in the face of it. And of course, that is the story of Zechariah. He was a righteous man. He had followed blamelessly the ways of the Lord all his life. His wife had too. They were good church-going folk. He had lived his life faithfully. He had gone through the motions for years and years, and he had prayed. No doubt he had prayed for a child for so many years. And I wonder if he had even stopped at a certain point, if he had given up on that prayer until that one day when that angel shows up and says something impossible is going to happen. Your prayer, that one you've been praying, that one you may have stopped praying long ago, it's going to be answered. And Zechariah's only question is, well, how can this be? Explain it to me. Solve the mystery. But Gabriel is not a detective. He says, I stand in the presence of the Lord. Right? And he says that these things will come to fulfillment in God's time, not on your impatient schedule. And then he renders Zechariah mute. Imagine that. Imagine having the most wonderful news to tell and no ability to convey it. And imagine being in the sanctuary when Zechariah comes out from behind the curtain, unable to speak, waving his hands around, incoherently, and the people must have wondered, something strange is going on here. I think in some ways it would be, it would be silly if it wasn't so cruel. And oftentimes people think that Gabriel's response to, to Zechariah's unbelief, striking him mute, is a, is a punishment. But perhaps it is not a punishment at all. Perhaps Gabriel rendering Zechariah mute is a gift, a blessing to help his unbelief, to shake him out of the, of the patterns and, and thought processes and habits of mind that he had become accustomed to through his lifelong devotion to going through the motions. Now he, he has time to think about something new, and when the time is right, he will speak again. And, of course, Zechariah's silence is surely a blessing to his wife, Elizabeth, who will not have to hear a word out of him the entire time she is pregnant. What a gift that is. And in that pregnant pause, that long, drawn-out silence, that nine months of silence, when Zechariah surely wanted more than anything to explain, to discern the pattern of God's will, to explain the culprit Behind this mystery, all that time he's held back in silence. But Elizabeth can speak. And without any explanation from her husband, she recognizes that there is a mystery at work here. She recognizes it in the transformation of her body as it becomes a vessel for new life. She recognizes the blessing of God, so much so that she sees it. 
in Mary when Mary comes to visit her too. Blessed are you among women and the fruit of your womb, she says. She sees the blessing of God. Of course, the more unlikely a pregnancy, the greater the worry and the concern that attends to it, but also the excitement and the expectation that comes with it. But whatever pregnancy there is, it always moves at its own pace. Pregnancy progresses slowly. And there is a lesson in that. The change takes time. And that a transformative experience that can bring new life may not happen like that. Of course, when the time does come, every birth is itself a mystery. We may have some sense of who is coming into the world, some some guess about what kind of person this will be. But of course, we cannot know until, until they're born, until we get to know them. And so, now, in this season of Advent, we wait And we watch, and we read the signs, and whether we are young or old, whether we are churched or unchurched, whether we are joyful or despairing, we can look into this mystery with some expectation. There will be a birth, and there will be new life, but not yet. But when it comes, it will be it will be something. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Union Congregational Church and our ministries, you can visit churchbythepark.org or you can find us on Facebook at Church by the Park. You are more than welcome to join us for worship throughout this Advent season at Union, either on Sundays at 1015 a.m., in person at 55 Rhodes Avenue in Walpole, or online via live stream. We'll also have a special candlelight service on Christmas Eve, December 24th at 5 p.m. I hope today's message has helped lead you into the mystery of this season to open your heart to the wonder of God's presence and the gift of God's grace. Until next time, may grace and peace be with you.